The Trek Files, Season 6, Episode 20, Letter to Gerald Freed, June 5th, 1968. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Oh, Trekophiles. I know, spelled with an F. Hey, any Star Trek uh, history buff, any Star Trek fan, any, any Star Trek music lover, yes, is going to appreciate uh, our show today. I've got such an incredible guest with us to talk about a wonderful topic, and I think I've given it away already. But look, as always, check out our documents of the week. We, we don't just call it the Trek Files for nothing. We give you real files, folks. <laughs> check that out. Uh, but meanwhile... Hang on, I'm going to be right back with today's guest, and here is a little sample of what we'll be talking about from those documents. I'm in hopes that you will find a number of elements in the film which will excite you. I certainly wouldn't mind having another score from you as good as the one you did for us on Amok Time last season. It was beautiful and highly effective. All righty, Trekophiles. Uh, that kind of gave the show away. <laughs> we mentioned Amok Time, and who can forget the iconic fight score in that, the, the, the Spock theme with the bass, the solitary bass. Uh, yes, we are talking about none other than uh, the man who uh, had five Emmy nominations. He was a co-Emmy winner for, actually wrote the first chapter of Music of Roots with Quincy Jones. He was Oscar nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score for a documentary called Birds Do It, Bees Do It. Uh, and he was working with Stanley Kubrick on his student film and his first films. Hey, he needs not much more introduction, but I'm sure we'll give him some. I am so honored today to have uh, the original series composer and actually one Next Generation episode. Uh, Gerald Freed, who loves to be called Jerry, so that's why I'm going to do. Jerry, I am so glad to have you with us on the Trek Files today. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is just an amazing. I'll say it. It's an amazing honor to have you. And I'm, you know, in the in the days when we recorded most of our shows live, uh, having someone in from New York, we could have done it, but it wouldn't have been top of mind. But I'm so glad we're in the mind to do this. But it's it's such an honor to talk to you, and you're a humble guy. I just want to say I saw you play. An ensemble of your, your, you yourself on the oboe, some of your episodes in 2012 at the La La Land uh, launch for the original series soundtrack set, the huge set. And um, it was amazing. That's, that's my most, and I happened to think to pick up a camera on my phone and video it, and that's my highest rated video <laughs> on my YouTube channel. And I think that just says something for a muck time and the rest of your soundtracks. So let's just start at the beginning. This is a letter from uh, Bob here, actually talking about leading into your last, uh, the five that you did for Star Trek. Um, but how did you come to the show originally? Was it, was it Bob Justman that reached out to you? or? Uh, I think the first call to my agent was from Gene Roddenberry, and oh. then Bob sort of took over the you know, steering the thing along. And he, which he did. And I'll just say real quick, you had five episodes, Shore Leave, 
in the first season, which was your debut with them. And then second season, you had Cat's Paw, Friday's Child, and Amok Time, famously. And then this, you wound up uh, doing what Bob here calls The Pale Face, which thankfully, even in 1968, was soon retitled to The Paradise Syndrome with Miramani. Yeah. So by the time he's writing you here, you had done five. Now, I want to share with everybody this is something I didn't realize, but you were a working composer and making your money. This was your day job. Uh, you wrote for 300 films, single TV episodes, and specials. Wow. Which is... Uh, well, I had four kids, so I probably needed the money. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Now, were you living in... You were living in L.A. Are you a native New Yorker? Did you come out here, or did you do that from New York? I was born in the Bronx. Uh-huh. So in case you want to fight, wash out. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> uh, moved out here to actually, uh, no, first first I moved to L.A. to do Kubrick's uh, uh, Day of the Fight. Mm -hmm. No, no, we did that in New York. I came out to do uh, The Killing for Kubrick out here in L.A., and I sort of stayed. So I was here from early 50s on. Well, I, it, it's it's nice to be in the neighborhood when you're trying to do work. I know it's hard to do, especially back in the day. It's a little easier now, but still, if you're hanging in the neighborhood and you can go by and knock on doors, it, it helps. Yeah. Here's what kills me, and I want to talk, yes, folks, we're going to talk about Star Trek. It, it's amazing to me. I didn't think about it. I looked at, I tallied it up. Thank you, IMDb. You did many series. I'm just here, the most notable that we think of now, and of course there were the westerns to do. You did a Gunsmoke. You did two Lost in Spaces. Lost in Spaces. You did six Mission Impossibles of the series. Uh, as as uh, John would be happy, my, my friend John Champion would be happy to say, you did 45 Man from Uncle episodes and 39 Gilligan's Islands. Now, <laughs> Jerry, that is quite a scope. And then five Star Treks. And I'm, can I, is it safe to say that you're when people talk to you and they're a fan of your work, that it's always Star Trek? I mean, did you ever hear from anybody besides Star Trek fans? Yeah. Yeah, Man from Uncle got some... I got calls about Man from Uncle. And, of course, the Kubrick movies. I'm, I'm thinking... Well, the Kubrick movies are always going to be there, but I'm thinking primarily of, like, the TV rabble, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, good. I, I was... I, you were really a musical voice then on, on Man from Uncle then, as well as Gilligan. <laughs> yeah, both shows were kind of fun, but I never got calls about Gilligan's Island. <laughs> you you never get calls about that's that's a shame. And you're here. What what's wrong with you, Gilligan's World? <laughs> we should talk about Star Trek. This is a very warm letter from from Bob. Um, now, some of the composers had done, uh, you did five. That's up at the upper echelons there of, of as far as just raw numbers. Uh, I think Fred Steiner has the the most. Um, what when you came to, when you did the first one? Let's say Shore Leave. What did did you know about Star Trek? Did you because it was first season? They probably hadn't aired yet. So what was your reaction to? I mean, are you a science fiction fan? Well, I love getting the calls for the new series. You know, uh, just just mm -hmm. to keep keep in the game. But uh, and I'm a moderate. Uh, uh, science fiction guy but what intrigued me about Star Trek most of all was they combined these uh, intense personal stories only set them in outer space and I thought that was kind of brilliant I guess uh, Gene Roddenberry 
and Bob Jessler, not to you know, get credit for that, but their stories were deeply personal, and yet it was out of space. I thought that was a winning combination. Yeah. Gave you a lot to play with. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I guess just like writers, composers get a reputation for what they, I mean, a good, <laughs> assuming they have a good reputation, uh, or they have a reputation for one genre over another one. Did you feel like you were in that way? Because I'm looking at that. So Short Leave was a lot about fantasy and fantasy come to life with a, you know, with a horror edge to it at times. It could, you know, whatever that brings. Cat's Paw is a little bit about odd horror in a, in a space realm. Friday's Child is just kind of a straight-up adventure. A Muck Time is very personal, but we've got the iconic, <laughs> we've got the theme. And then the Paradise Syndrome is a is a love story. So I, um, did did you feel like you were ever pigeonholed, at least with, you know, Bob Justman anyway? Uh, no, but I was pigeonholed. Uh, there were people at MGM who would not hire me for a, a standard dramatic thing because I did Man from Uncle there. So obviously I'm just a jazz composer. But as I said before, I had four kids and I had to make a living. So I saw to it that I was familiar uh, and actually he was, had professional familiarity with all areas of music from rock and roll to Latino to symphony to chamber music. So uh, it's a sort of self-protection. So uh, you know, uh, I'd be able to say, whatever came at me, that yes, I am experienced there. And Star Trek was an interesting combination of several of those, especially of what I said earlier, those personal stories set in that mm -hmm. space. And having done both, uh, I felt sure of myself. Well, do we chalk it up to your great Juilliard training? No, only part of <laughs> So I wanted to mention that. The Juilliard was, uh, you know, was part, part of my training, but also uh, I was trying to make, working my way through high school and college, I took whatever job I could get in New York. I played Jewish weddings, Greek uh, funeral services, you name it, I, I did it and I learned from each one of them. And it, uh, I would approach a score feeling confident, like, there could be no surprises for me. I pretty much did everything in my training days. Uh, well, it's it certainly it certainly shows. I'm just thinking here. This is a range. Even in your Star Trek episodes, it's a range. Uh, working with Kubrick, I have to ask, how did you meet up with with Stanley Kubrick? Uh, well, uh, I was already when I met him. I was already uh, in my late teens and early twenties, and I was a Juilliard student, and uh, we met through a friend. Uh, my handball partner in the Bronx was Alex Singer. You, you may know his work, direct. Mm -hmm. He directed Next Generations, if, it's, if we're talking about the same Alex Singer. Yeah, anyway, he was Stanley's good friend, and he also did a lot of Stanley's shooting, you know, as uh, you know, he is on the, uh, some of the, the work that Cuba couldn't cover. Uh, so he introduced us, and uh, Stanley and I sort of got along fine. He was. He and Alex were in this Greenwich Village crowd with these guys. I was a music maker. I didn't know about thinking or philosophy or stuff like that. Uh, but these guys were, were, were scholars, every one of them. There was Stanley, Alex Singer, Paul Mazursky, 
Gabe Gad mm. Sloan of there were all this this crowd and uh, I just wanted to hang around with them to learn from them so that's how I met Stanley not not bad for just a music major and I'm using air quotes there yeah and Stanley's the one that got you to LA and everything that and this interview <laughs> yeah exactly all the way down uh, and I'm looking at, and so I'm looking back at Bob's letter, which we're, we're actually pivoting from here. And again, thankfully, they changed the title from the pale face onward. Um, and here's Bob saying, although the culture on the island is American Indian, I do think that it ought to enhance the exoticism of the culture rather than sounding like Sitting Bull and his friends. Uh, he didn't want it to just be a, a Western, a token, stereotypical Western score, which I, you probably wouldn't have done on your own. But did, did Bob often, when you would get the script for a show, uh, say a Star Trek anyway, did, did, did you often get a little uh, note and encouragement here about, oh, you might steer this way, don't steer this way? You know, it's Cat's Paw, it's Friday's Child, it's a Muck Time. Well, and I had the fortune of writing the music to two documentaries about Native Americans. Uh, the Mystic Warrior and I Will Fight No More Forever, the story of mm. Joseph. And uh, so I, I, I took that personally, and once again, I wanted to write about them like they were people, not the you know, token statues in front of a cigar store. So I was conscious of that, and I loved Bob Justman for respecting that. And Gene Rodney, mm -hmm. too. Well, that's the uh, DNA of the show there, and then he writes the thank you note, uh, which was a bit, yeah, there are the, the, the romantic themes in Paradise Syndrome are incredible and, and uh, trademark. I love your very humble little um, <laughs> thank you note. Uh, you know, you're just a music major trying to get by <laughs> and support your four kids, which I love. But he, you know, even here, Bob mentions, um, as we heard there, uh, we sure would like to get another score as great as a muck time. I mean, not that. Shore leave and the Finnegan's theme in Shore leave and the Ruth theme, the love theme there. Uh, you know, there are so many iconic things in uh, so many iconic music moments in Shore leave. Um, and, and you know, Cat's Paw and Friday's Child get over, overshadowed maybe by a muck time and by Paradise Syndrome. But Friday's Child had that great your theme for the Capellans. I'm, I'm so resisting trying to hum things here into the mic for the show, but I want to keep our listeners, not drive them away. <laughs> But even here, Bob is mentioning a muck time. How does it feel to have had a muck time become as... Because you know, the entire world, even if they don't know a muck time, they know the fight theme, right? They know Kroika, too. Yeah, well, uh, Cable Guy and what's the other one? One of the popular comedy shows used that theme several times, so that helped popularize it. And what was the other one? I know it was in the Cable Guy, Jim Carrey's movie. Yeah, and there was a, another one. I can't think of the name, but uh, that was fun and kind of flattering. Well, I I, do, I mentioned it earlier, but I do want to go back to the night that you played this mel this medley from uh, Shoreleave. You know, the the familiar theme, Shoreleave and a Muck Time and Paradise Syndrome, um, on the oboe with a pianist accompaniment. Right. And uh, again, it's on YouTube. Uh, it gets tons of looks. People are still finding it. And you, you looked so joyful. First of all, it was amazing to see you there. This was eight, nine years ago. Uh, you spry young thing, and and you're playing oboe. You're, they don't call it a woodwind for nothing. And you're pumping it out. And the two of you put on such a great show. It was melting hearts. You can hear the awes in the audience. Uh, was that a rare occurrence, or do you do that? Do you find ways to do that often? Uh, 
depends on how you define often. I've done maybe <laughs> four or five in my entire life. So I don't know if you do oh. that often. But they're fun. And uh, one thing I liked about the one I did with, I think his name was Richard Rutherford, the pianist. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. each time I started a new theme from one of the Star Trek shows, it would get applause from the audience, you know, as this acknowledging that they recognized the theme. And that was flattering and just plain old fun. Got to hear that. Well, I, that it, and it was heartwarming, but I have to ask you, Jerry, you weren't surprised that people were responding that way, were you, after all these years? Uh, I was a little bit surprised, because, you know, uh, composers, well, all people who do creative stuff, don't dare assume that their work is heard mm. and respected. So that when the applause comes and they, I knew they recognize it, that felt very good. And, yeah, I was surprised. Well, good. Well, you know, on one hand, it had been 45-ish years, but on the other hand, it's good to still get a surprise, uh, even when you, you have a... Listen, Jerry, I, I really would love to get into some other... We've got another... I've got some other paperwork here for you. If you feel like up for a talk, we'd love to have you come back and join us for another episode, if you're up for it. Sure. Hey, this is fun. Well, let's have you back as soon as we can, then. Thank you so much. My pleasure. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, that's me, at larrynemachek.com. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.